starting a, a short series here in, uh, no, in late November and through the month of December, looking at some Messianic prophecies and some titles of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I have thoroughly enjoyed studying this particular term, title, and prophecy regarding Christ. And this is found in Luke 1 in verse 78, but we will trace this really throughout the Bible. It's a fascinating study, and I am not going to be able to do an exhaustive study, but I hope that this will be an encouragement and blessing to us. We see the unity of Scripture. Obviously, we see the inspiration of Scripture, the preservation of Scripture for, for us, and then the fulfillment of prophecy. We see how all of these statements uh, regarding this particular term and title, how they all come together, and we see this, this theme or this thread throughout Scripture. So Luke chapter number 1, and we are going to look at this title for Christ and Messianic prophecy regarding day spring. Luke 1 and verse 67, and his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, now let's pause there, who is Zacharias? Who is Zacharias? John the Baptist's dad, yes, okay. And what had happened to Zacharias prior to this prophecy, prior to him making this? I think I heard somebody say it and... He couldn't speak. He, he, was, he was dumb, not in the manner of being stupid, but he was mute. Why was he mute? Why was he unable to speak, Derek? Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, good point, good point. So he was, he was a, a deaf mute. Yeah. Why, why did that happen? Say that again? Yeah, he questioned. When the prophecy from the angel that he was going to have a son and... The specifics regarding John the Baptist, Zacharias did not believe, and God took away his ability to speak, and apparently his hearing as well, as a, a small judgment, but as a consequence, as an opportunity for teaching, not just for him, but also uh, for us as well. But he came out from his priestly duties and was unable to explain what had happened, at least not uh, verbally, and they were trying to do some signs, and then... Uh, we come now here to Luke 1, in verse 67, and we just uh, read that verse to verse 68. Here's the prophecy. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. We'll pause again. He is now able to speak. He has been able to declare the name of his son is John. And as he wrote that, God enabled him to hear and to speak again. And now he is giving this prophecy. And who is he speaking of? He is rejoicing, obviously, in what God has done for him and for his family. The joy of having a child, and again, in a Jewish family, being barren, this was a huge social, uh, what would be the, the right word for it? It would be a, a social embarrassment, in, in a sense, for, for them now to have a child Incredible joy, but who is he speaking of? Christ, Jesus. 
Okay, because John the Baptist is going to be the forerunner of Christ. He is going to preach and prophesy and prepare the way of the Lord. So he's now speaking of the Christ child who would uh, be born uh, later. From what we understand, John the Baptist was about six months older than, than Jesus, right? And so his ministry would begin, of course, publicly before Christ. And we know what John the Baptist uh, preached and how he pointed to Christ and said, Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. He must increase, I must decrease. So he's speaking of the Christ child. Verse 70, And as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which, which hath been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he sware to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we, being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness, in righteousness before him all the days of our life. And thou, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. Verse 76, he's speaking of whom? John the Baptist. Verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And then verse 80 speaks of John the Baptist, the child grew, waxed strong in spirit, and was in the desert till the day of his showing unto Israel. Zacharias is giving a prophecy. I know that there was just a short time, in a sense, before Jesus would be born, and then we know his public ministry began around the age of 30. So it would be 30 years before Jesus' public ministry, but in just a short time, Jesus would be born. And he is giving this prophecy. I wish we had time to go through each verse, but I really want to focus on verse 78. Through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us. And then he quotes... In verse 79 from Isaiah chapter number 9. It's really a paraphrase. We could go into the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. Don't necessarily need to get into all that. But basically it's a quote from Isaiah 9 in verses 2 and 3. To give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Speaking of Christ. So Isaiah 9, in verse number 2, the people that walked in darkness have seen what? A great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. That is the verse that Zacharias is referring to in Luke 1, in verse 79, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So we see this day spring, and we see the reference to light, and it overtaking, overcoming the darkness. So, borrowing from the Septuagint, and how the Septuagint translates from the Hebrew into the Greek, we know that the word day spring from Isaiah 60 and verse 19, which we'll look at in a moment, and from the definition of the word, the original word that is translated dayspring, 
In Luke 1 and verse 78, we see day spring, meaning rising or springing up of a branch and or the rising of a heavenly body. So let's break that word day spring down in just a moment, but let's first of all see the way it's also used to refer to the branch, the growing of a branch, a branch budding forth, breaking forth out of the stem and growing and bearing fruits. Jeremiah 23 and verse 5, that phrase is used to refer to Christ. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. And then Zechariah 6 and verse 12, And speak unto him, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold the man whose name is the branch, and he shall grow up out of his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Is it not clear that the Old Testament refers to Jesus? Is it not very plain that the Old Testament prophesied of the Messiah? And we know that there was the first coming that was sometimes also prophesied, and then in conjunction with that, the second coming. And literally, there will be passages or even single verses where one part of the passage or the verse will refer specifically to the first coming of Christ, and the rest of that passage or the second half of that verse will make reference to the millennial kingdom, the second coming of Christ, or even into his eternal kingdom. Okay, so then we come to Isaiah 60 and verse 19. The sun shall be no more thy light by day, neither for brightness shall the moon give light unto thee. And this is obviously a reference to the millennial kingdom, the eternal kingdom. But the Lord shall be unto thee an everlasting light in thy God, thy glory. Isaiah is prophesying of the coming judgment, Babylon coming to take Judah. We know during Isaiah's prophecy, there was the attack by the Assyrians. And then eventually Babylon in 605, 597, 586. But Isaiah is also looking ahead to the day when there will be God's millennial kingdom. There are references in Isaiah to the millennial kingdom. And this is obviously a reference to his eternal kingdom. The Lord shall be unto thee an everlasting light. So what happens in the eternal kingdom in heaven? Will there be a need for the sun and the moon? He says right here, the sun shall no more be, shall be no more thy light by day. Neither for brightness shall the moon give light unto thee. We know that in heaven, the light of God the glory of Jesus Christ, the Lord shall be unto thee an everlasting light, and thy God thy glory. We have really enjoyed taking some pictures of, of the moon, and we've, we've got a, I've, I've joked around about, we have around our house, we have a little astronomist, uh, not astrologist, but astronomist, and we've enjoyed uh, even going over to Purdue to the parking garage and looking up. We've had some beautiful moons lately, some nice clear skies. And um, the newest, I'm, I'm really not trying to brag about my phone. I'm really not. I'm, I, I really like the feature. We had to get new phones. We had old phones. And I just, 
have been really impressed with uh, the camera on the uh, the S23, and there's a really neat feature. I didn't I didn't put the pictures on the on the screen. We had some really beautiful pictures of the moon, and the other night we had that that aura kind of around because the I guess the crystallized air with the the cold. It was it was really it was really neat. Josiah and I had a really good time. Um, going out and, and taking pictures, it, it's really been been pretty. But what's what's the moon doing? Is the moon does the moon have its own light? What's the moon doing? It's reflecting the light of what? The sun. What if the sun goes out? We all die. We're all we're all goners. What if the sun moves a little bit too far away from the earth? We all freeze to death. What if the sun moves a little too close to the earth? We all fry like scrambled eggs. And of course, we all know climate change is coming and we're all going to die in five years anyway. I'm just joking. I'm just joking, okay? This ridiculous climate change stuff. And you know, they're meeting again, right? They just had another, they're, they're doing a two week. Oh, by the way, they flew over on their private jets, right? And they're meeting and they're eating all their fancy foods and all that stuff. And they're telling us all how we're going to die. What's that? Oh, my. Oh, my. And Joe Biden didn't even go because he was afraid he would get bad press because his approval ratings are so low. He was afraid he was going to make both sides mad by going to this climate change summit. Anyway, how did we get there? But the, the, the sun and the moon will no longer be needed in the, in the heavenly kingdom, in heaven. God will be the light. So we're, we're seeing this theme. We're seeing this thread. And, and this is just, it's, it's fascinating. 2 Samuel 23, verses 3 and 4. Who will read uh, for us 2 Samuel 23, verses 3 and 4? So we've been in Isaiah 9 and in Isaiah 60 in reference to light. And we've talked a little bit about day spring. We'll continue with this. We've seen the translation of this rising or this springing up. We see that translated regarding a branch. In Jeremiah 23.5 and Zechariah 6.12. But notice the prophecy in 2 Samuel 23. This is David. And he's near the end of his life. And he is speaking of a future king. Does David not recognize that he has had failure in his life? You better believe it. Did David not get persecuted by a king who had great failure in his life? Saul? David has a son who he had great concern for, Solomon, who would obviously have great failure, but he speaks of a coming king in 2 Samuel 23, verses 3 and 4. Who has that passage? Becky, if you'll read that for us. Excellent. Thank you. So he references the fact that a good king and the perfect king to come will rule and will do what there, Becky? Will shine as the morning sun, right? Rising up. The daylight coming and will shine and basically talking about the evaporation of the dew and shining on the earth 
and bringing forth life. He's speaking of the fact that there needs to be a good king. There needs to be good kings who come after him, his own son. But he's ultimately speaking to the one true and perfect king that we have been lacking and we still lack to this day, except for in the person of Jesus Christ, because we don't have a perfect king. Every government has failed. We are seeing it before our very eyes in our own country. But he's looking ahead to a perfect king, the perfect king, the one true king. And he's speaking of Jesus Christ. And we are desiring that. And we are looking to uh, the second coming of Christ now. But he references this daylight, this time of night, morning, when the sun rises and casts light, and the light does what? It overcomes the darkness. And that is the point that day spring, the use of that phrase, that is ultimately what we are, what we are supposed to see and understand. That Jesus Christ as the day spring, rising up and overcoming the darkness and shining light and casting out the darkness. What is the darkness a reference to? Sin. Who can overcome the darkness of this world? Who can overcome the darkness of our sin? No one but Jesus Christ. And the day spring will come as a king. And he will overcome the darkness. No matter how good of a king, no matter how good of an administration, there always is vestiges of sin. There's always areas that are out of the control or out of the jurisdiction of an earthly king, an earthly kingdom. And every kingdom of man has had failure. Even the greatest empire that many would argue, the Roman Empire, it ultimately decayed from within before it was ever overrun by the barbarians and the Visigoths and all that. So he's making reference to a perfect king. That would be Jesus Christ and this overcoming of the darkness by the light of Jesus Christ. So then let's go back to Numbers chapter 24. Now we are where? We are where in the timeline of Israel's history? Where are we in the book of Numbers? Mount Sinai, the giving of the law, the wilderness. Have they even entered into the promised land yet? No. And look what Moses writes by the inspiration of God in Numbers 24 in verse 17. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a what? A star out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. So this star, we see it in 2 Samuel 23. We see it in Numbers 24. The star, the light, also in conjunction, used with the scepter, the rule, the king. So star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab, and destroy all the children of Sheth. Who is this a prophecy of? 
Jesus Christ. All the way back in the book of Numbers, in the giving of the law, in the traveling through the wilderness, Moses writes of a star coming out of Jacob. And he will have a scepter. So this star is personal. Star references light. And this light is going to come out of Jacob, obviously Israel. And he will have a scepter. He will, he will rule. He will rise out of Israel. Now, ultimately, we know that this fulfillment, this full fulfillment is in the millennial kingdom and the everlasting, the eternal kingdom. But there is a reference here to Jesus Christ going all the way back to Numbers 24 in the time of the law. The star is Christ, and his shining will be accompanied by his reign. His rule will be over all and shine forth in righteousness and judgment. Obviously a reference to the millennial kingdom and then henceforth into the eternal kingdom. Okay, so we see another reference. Comments or questions so far? Okay, we continue to see this thread in Scripture. Malachi chapter 4 in verse number 2. But unto you that fear my name, we see another title that speaks of this star, light, day spring, same kind of idea, the same theme, the same thread. Malachi 4 and verse 2. But unto you that fear my name shall the sun... S-U-N, of righteousness, arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. Prophecy again of the millennial kingdom and God's eternal kingdom when righteousness will prevail. The righteousness of Christ will shine like the sun. Now, some of you are hunters, and you've been out early in the morning before it gets daylight, right? Right? You venture out before it gets daylight. I, I've, I've only gone deer hunting uh, two or three times in my life. I, di- I didn't enjoy it, but uh, I know that's for some of you, this is the time of year. And some of you have been out several times. And some of you have dragged carcasses back and had them processed, and you're in, you already have meat in your freezer. And we've been blessed by someone who was able to drag one of those carcasses and get it processed. And has been kind enough to give us some of that meat. But that darkness is when you go out and you're listening and you're peering through and you're trying all the different techniques, but then the daylight comes and it shines across and it peeks through the woods and the trees and the branches and then it begins to cast light so now you can get your, your sights on a 12-point beast that you can take out and then put on your fireplace, above your fireplace, right? What every woman wants, right, is a bee staring at them when they get up in the morning and come downstairs or go into the living room, right? Exactly. <laughs> the daylight comes and it shines light. It goes into the cracks and the crevices. It declares, it reveals, it shows, it gives opportunity. And we see that illustration. And what does the son of righteousness bring? He brings righteousness into every place, every crack and crevice, every dark place. 
But what's the, what's the, the result? It's the forgiveness of sin. As we turn from our sin, as we turn to Christ in saving faith, then that light shines upon our dark hearts and reveals our sin and then saves us from that sin. And then there is the righteousness of Christ that is imputed to our account. Not our righteousness, but his righteousness. So we see this thread in Scripture. And we're still in the Old Testament. Let's go to now the New Testament. And we see in 2 Peter chapter 1, in verse 19. 2 Peter 1, in verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the, what's the next word? Day star, or day, day star, we put those together, arise where? In your hearts. So we think in national terms, a king, a, a, a sun in the sky that shines upon the earth. But what, what, is, what, is, what is Peter doing in 2 Peter? Let's bring it personal. He's saying we need to each individually receive this light. We need to, he says... As unto a light that shineth in a dark place. Okay, this word here, day star, is the only time that it is used in the New Testament, in this specific term that's translated day star. Only time in the New Testament, this word, it's referring to light bringer, a bringer of light. As unto a light that shineth in a dark place. That is a flashlight or a lamp. Okay, taking our phones out and saying, hey, Google, turn on flashlight. Now, my phone would probably turn on the flashlight. Yep, there it goes. Yep. Okay. Yes. <laughs> kind of scary, actually. <laughs> the other day, Josiah was saying that his phone was, he, he picked up his phone, and it, when he went to the, um, his browser, I guess there were ads for something that we had been talking about in the living room. That's really freaky, kind of scary, that even though he hadn't even said, hey, Siri, Siri, Siri. Is it Siri? Siri? Okay. Even though he hadn't said her name, it was picking up kind of, kind of scary. But here's, here's this phrase, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, okay? A flashlight or a lamp, Okay. Are there times where we have a specific lamp, flashlight, we shine into a dark place, okay? Yes, right? But then he says, as we right now have the responsibility to, in a sense, be a flashlight, to be a lamp shining in the dark place where God has put us, in our workplaces, in our homes, in our places of recreation, wherever God has us, we're to... As the one song says, we're to brighten the corner where we are. God has us in places, classrooms, again, all kinds of different places where God has us, where God sends us. 
where we have a burden for the lost, where we are to be a good testimony, where we are to be a flashlight, in a sense, a lamp. And really, the power of that light comes from where? Christ, from God himself, from our relationship with Christ as a saved individual, forgiven, saved. Now we are reflecting the light of Christ, and we are that light in the dark place until what? Until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Okay? Now he is taking it even further. And he is saying, yes, we have the smaller lights and we have a responsibility to be lights. But ultimately, there is a day coming when the sun will rise, the sun of righteousness, the day will spring forth. And where does he say that even that light will take place? In our hearts. So what is that a reference to? What's that? Okay, and the full fulfillment of our salvation. There are some who even believe that, and I think this is interesting, that the phrase day dawn is a reference to the rapture, and the day star arising in our hearts is a reference to the second coming. Now, I don't know if we can get that specific and be dogmatic, but it is an interesting interpretation from one commentator that I read. What's the reference to? It's our salvation, but it's ultimately looking ahead to what? The full fulfillment of our salvation. What's the theological term for that? Glorification. We are sanctified in one sense when we get saved. We're saved from the penalty of sin. The progressive aspect of our sanctification is when we are becoming like Christ. We're becoming what we already are in Christ. We're becoming Christ-like, more like Christ. Looking ahead to the final glorification day. So in one sense, our progressive sanctification is becoming like Christ, what we already are in him. But also, what are we looking ahead to in our progressive sanctification? We're looking ahead to being, right now, as much as we possibly can, to what we will be in our glorified state. Isn't that interesting? And all that comes through an analogy that Peter uses that references a prophecy in Luke 1 that goes all the way back to even Numbers 24 and 2 Samuel 23 and these other references to light that we've seen in the Old Testament. Isn't that fascinating? And we have a responsibility as believers, as we're reminded in 2 Peter 1 and verse 19, to be shining, reflecting the light of Christ, where he has us. Looking forward to the rapture, the day dawning, and the second coming of Christ, the day star arising in our hearts, the full fulfillment of our salvation and glorification. Saved from the penalty of sin, being saved, and we are saved from the power of sin, but then having that victory, looking forward to that day when we will literally be saved from the presence of sin. When the flesh will be gone, and all those temptations and all of that will be gone. And that will be a glorious day. And that's what Peter is even making reference to. We could go to 1 John 3. Uh, just, we do have a little bit of time here to do this. I know I'm belaboring this point, but I just find this so fascinating. 
1 John chapter 3. Again, we see the unity of Scripture. We see Peter, and then we see John. Isn't it interesting? that, that It seems like they had the same teacher, didn't they? The same Lord, the same Master, the same Savior, receiving divine truth from the same God, inspired by God. And, and the, the words that they are writing, declaring, are the very revelation of God, given by the inspiration of God. 1 John 3, verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. We've been saved from the penalty of sin. We've been placed in Christ. We have been adopted as sons. We are children of God. Wherefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. We're striving for that glorified state. We're striving to be Christ-like, to look like what we already are in Christ. But we know that, verse 2 of 1 John 3, when he shall appear, we shall be like him, and we shall see him as he is. And he doesn't stop there, does he? He doesn't say, okay, now you can go sit on your couch and just be a good Christian couch potato. Is that what he says? Verse 3. And every man that hath this hope in him doeth what? Purifieth himself. Even what? As he is pure. Be what you are in Christ. Be striving for that, purifying yourself right now. We have the light of Christ shining in our hearts, but we look forward to that day when it will shine in its fullness, when the day star arises in our hearts. So live in the light of that glorious truth of the gospel right now and be reflecting, shining that light in the dark places that God has put us looking forward to that day when we will be entirely pure, finally sin, the nature of sin I should say, sin nature completely and fully removed and eradicated. It's dead now, but we're walking around with this stinking putrefied corpse, the old nature and it stinks the stink of death, the odor of death affects us. And we should be sick of it. It should make us disgusted. But too often we're over there and we're putting lipstick on the corpse. We're putting perfume on the corpse. We're going in and we're spraying the Glade and the air freshener in the room of the corpse. Because we want to entertain our flesh. And what did Paul say? What fruit had ye then in those things? whereof ye are now ashamed. That corpse is going to produce nothing in your life. You're dead to that. It's dead. Why are you going around hanging out with a corpse? I don't know of many people that enjoy hanging out in the morgue. Some people have to go into the morgue and do certain things, and I know there are some people who their career is to be a mortician. I did see a mortician license plate one day. I had never seen a mortician advertised with bumper sticker and license plate bracket. But he did. And I was like, wow, not many people advertise that, you know. Kelly's dad used to do HVAC down at the city county building. And he had to go in and do air conditioning and heating in the morgue down at the city county. <laughs> Creepy, right? Okay. But we, as believers, the sin, the, the sin nature is dead, but we, we hang out with it. We, we chum around with the corpse of the flesh. And he's saying, no, purify yourself. Every man that hath this open and purifieth himself, even as he is pure. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 
uh, speaks even to this full fulfillment. When we get to heaven and we're all straightened out <laughs> for all of our wrong theology and all of our bad ideas and all the things where, that we argue about. I think sometimes we go way too far and debate and argue sometimes about the silliest things and separate ourselves sometimes and get mad at each other for sometimes the silliest things. Okay, I believe in biblical separation and ecclesiastical separation and we have to do those things. Sometimes I think we fight and argue over the, the silliest stuff. But 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8, Charity never faileth, but whether they be, there be prophecies, they shall fail. Where there be tongues, they shall cease. Where there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. But we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But then that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child. I thought as a child, when I became a man, I put away childish things. But now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. There will be that full fulfillment in that glorified state, the full light. Doesn't mean that we'll be God. Doesn't mean that we'll be like the Mormons believe and we'll go out and we'll become a God, a little G God and propagate our own planet. No, that's not what it's saying. It's not that we're going to finally achieve into the sphere of divinity. No, no. But there will be a knowledge without sin, and we'll have relationships with one another without sin and without of the, all of the bondages of the flesh and the bitterness and the bad memories and all that. All that will be gone. No more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain, no more death. That's ultimately what that is speaking to. Now, one final note here on this passage, and then we'll, we'll finish up real quick. But... This word, daystar, as you see, I think I put it on the screen, is the word that we get the element phosphorus from. And I wish uh, Dan Clark were here. I'd ask him to help me a little bit with this phosphorus, but it's an important part of our body. Helps with the formation of bones and teeth. Plays an important role in how the body uses carbohydrates and fats. It is needed for the body to make protein for growth, maintenance, and the repair of cells and tissues. I don't know who invented the word prosperous, prosperous, phosphorus for the element, but I, I, I wonder if there wasn't because they recognized the day spring, the word in the original language, the Greek word phosphorus, and the benefits, obviously, um, spiritual benefits that we've described. I wonder if that scientist who came up with that word for that element was trying to draw some comparisons because of the, the way phosphorus Helps with the body. Just a little side note there. And then we finish up with a couple more passages here. Revelation 22 and verse number 6. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David. We see root, again, offspring, growing up, bearing forth, springing up. Do we not see the correlation with the Old Testament, day spring, in that phrase, that word? Well, Christ is the brightest and most glorious star, rising like the morning sun, breaking the darkness of sin, revealing the glory of God in his redemption of sinners. He is the bright and morning star. Again, referencing day spring, the springing of day, and the reference to the light of day, shining forth, breaking, overwhelming the darkness of sin, revealing the glory of God in his redemption of sinners. And then... We come to 
the statements by Jesus himself in John 8 and John 9, I am the light of the world. He repeats that in John 9, verse 5, I am the light of the world. And we are to then reflect that light of God, his light, and reflect his light by our obedient life. So as we conclude with some final practical applications, as we've touched on in 2 Peter 1 and verse 19, notice again this thread, this reference to light. Matthew 5, verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Earlier in that same passage in verse 14, we are to be little lights. We're not the capital L light of the world, we're little lights, light of the world. We're to be a testimony, sharing the gospel. Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 15. Philippians 2 and verse number 15 That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. And then Ephesians 5 and verse number 8. Ephesians 5 and verse number 8. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And then we conclude, oops, I went too far. There we go. I already had it up there. Proverbs 4 and verse 18. But the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. Where does that light come from? It comes from God. It comes from God's word. It comes from obedience, pure living. As we live a life of obedience and the will of God, His light shines forth on our path that we might, again, walk in his light and be the light of the world, be light in a dark world. Any uh, concluding comments, questions, or thoughts? Yes, Nat? Right. Yes, yes. In partial glory. Yes. And, and when we're in heaven, we'll be there with God. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. It's really neat. I just I hope that was a help and encouragement to us as we see uh, this thread throughout Scripture, this theme throughout Scripture, and in hopes of preparing us also for uh, Christmas. Let's close in prayer, and then we'll be uh, getting ready for the service to follow. Lord, we thank you for this study for this theme throughout scripture. Thank you, Lord, for being the day spring, shining forth into our hearts the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, exposing our sin, convicting us of sin, and showing forth the the only way of redemption through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you will help us to once again be truly grateful Help us, Lord, to be shining lights, good testimonies, and to be the light of the world. Let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. And we pray you bless now the service to follow. Thank you again for our time together and this encouragement from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we have a few extra minutes. I finished a little bit early. Mark this day down as an early day. All right, we'll start the service in about 20 minutes.